Hi, this is Gita Neufeld, and I am privileged to begin our study inside of the text of the book of Daniel. Today we will be covering the first chapter of Daniel, chapter 1, which is actually basically written in Hebrew, contrary to what I had said last time. We'll see that the Aramaic starts a little bit later on. Pasuk Aleph. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonia, came to Jerusalem and laid siege on it. Interesting to note that here the count will be according to the Jewish king. However, later on it's going to move and we're going to date things, for example, at the beginning of chapter 2, as in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, because the kings no longer have any power. As we said last time, Jehoiakim started out as a vassal of Egypt. In his third year, Nebuchadnezzar defeated, defeated Paro at Charkamish and took over his vassals. However, Jehoiakim remained loyal to Paro and rebelled against him. Now there is, as we said, a discrepancy between this book and Yirmiyahu Melachim Bet, where did they say it was the fourth year, um, and we spoke about that discrepancy last time. Vayiten Hashem biyado et Yehoiakim melech Yehuda umikzat klei beit halukim vayaviem eretz shinar beit elohav vetakelim hevi beit otzar elohav. And God gave the Yehoiakim, the king of Yehuda, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the Beit Hamikdash, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, another name for Babel, to the temple of his god. And the vessels he brought into the treasure house of his god. And this is typical behavior that we've seen in the past, where when one nation would vanquish another, they would take artifacts, religious artifacts, and put them into the temple of their own god as a symbol to show that their god was bigger than your god. For example, the Plishtim took the Aron to Dagon, to Beit Dagon, and they left it there as a sign of their victory. Now, the Babylonians worshipped the god Bel, which will become important later on. We will see that name appear again and again in people's names. And the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officers, to bring from the children of Israel, from the royal family, and from the nobles. Let's go on to the next pasuk, and then we'll go, go over both of them together. What should he bring? Children which do not have any blemish, good-looking, and skillful in all wisdom, discerning in knowledge, and perceptive in their learning, that have the stamina to stand and serve in the king's palace, what should they do with them? They should teach them sefer, script, and the speak of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. So the king orders his chief eunuch, the Rav Sarisav. We have that title, Rav HaTabachim, Rav HaKovel, meaning the leader. And he orders him to take selected children from the nobility. And those children should then become part of the court. It's interesting that in uh, in Chaldean, in ancient Chaldean, we say partumim, we're familiar with that word as well from Megillat Esther. The word for nobility is fratama, so we hear partumim over there. And this, in fact, over here is a fulfillment, this deed of taking the children 
into the, into, uh, the king's court is a fulfillment of a pasuk which appears twice in Tanakh, both in Melachim Bet, Perek Chaf, as well as in Yeshayahu, Perek Lamitet, Umi Banecha Asher Mimcha, and the children which come from you, he's talking to Chizkiyahu Amelach, Asher Tolid Yikahu, that you will give birth to, they will be taken. And what's going to happen to them? And they will be officers in the palace of the king of Babylon. So we see the beginning of the um, destruction starting to happen as well. The prophecies of destruction are starting to be fulfilled. And then it continues to the description of the children who should be taken. It's interesting to say that there are people who should be who have no defect. It's interesting, we know that Kohanim are not supposed to have any defect, and maybe this is almost like a replacement. Kohanim don't matter. These guys are the ones that are going to be married. And Hashakoach Bahem, people who have self-control. And then we're told the purpose of this election, Lilamdam Sefer, they need to learn the court language, Akkadian, which was written in cuneiform and was very difficult. The spoken language at the time was Aramaic. That was a popular language. But in court, they would speak Akkadian. This is similar. We even know this in medieval times where every court spoke Latin or French regardless of what the country was. And in fact, the use of French in court persisted in Russia until the Russian Revolution in 1917. So what's going to happen to these young men that are being taken? And the king provided for them every day a daily portion. From the king's food, and from his drinking wine. And they would be raised for three years. And at the conclusion, some of them would be able to stand and serve in front of the king. And I can only think that that word vayiman was prepared, evokes to us Sefer Yonah, the book of Yonah, where Hashem prepares a wind, prepares a, prepares a fish, etc. So this idea of destiny is going to be unfolding. And they refuse to eat the food of the, sorry, and they're supposed to eat the food of the king. In ancient Persian, Pitu means meat, and baga means portion. So it's interesting, pat bag, the portion of meat. And they, and they also will be given to drink the wine of the king. And this period, this will go on for three years, which is really an echo, again, of the Kohanim and Levi'in's preparation to serve, that they would be trained for three years. Only some of them will be able to complete this rigorous program, says the Malbim. Rav Sadigon says, at the end, at the ketz, at the end of these three years, they will stand to serve, and they will stand to serve the king. And now let's see about our individual people that we're interested in. Pasuk Vav. Daniel, Mishael, And there were these four children, four young men from B'nai Yehuda, and we given their names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. We don't really know anything else about them except that they're from the tribe of Yehuda. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, however, says that they were from nobility. And then that what happens is, the, the chief of the eunuchs, the chief of the officers, changed their names, as we saw with Yehoiakim and also with Tzitkiyahu later on when his name is changed from Matanya to Tzitkiyahu. Changing a person's name is a demonstration of absolute power over the person's fate. 
So what does he change their names to? He changes Daniel to Baal Tishatzar. Bel, as we said, was the Babylonian god. Notice that the names that are being given now, the only one who has the god's name in his name is Daniel. Maybe it's a sign that he liked him better, so he gave him that more prestigious name. And he gave the other three names as well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Avadnego. Remember, by the way, that even changing names could also be part of the assimilatory process. Remember, Yosef had his name changed, and in Egypt, we did not change our names. But here, the name is changed, and we'll see also the language and the clothing. Again, part of that assimilatory process is going to be changed. So what happens to these three young men? And Daniel determines, he resolves in his heart, that he will not be defiled by the king's food or by his drinking wine. So what does he do? He requested of him that he should not be defiled. Daniel has decided that he will not be contaminated. Very interesting to note, this is the first place, the first text, where we have an explicit mention of Jews not eating non-Jewish foods. And he, he probably asks him very nicely. He doesn't say, please don't defile me. He asks him in a more politically correct way. And he says, please don't make me eat um, eat this food. There are commentaries which say that maybe the, a word of defiling Yitgael was used because of the that they were served in the um, in the uh, utensils of the Beit Hamikdash. Uh, that's an interesting thought. I don't think that the text really um, sees a support for that here. Although that may be the root of the midrash about um, Achashverosh. Um, using the utensils of the Beit HaMikdash as well. So what happens? Pasuk Daniel is able to find godly favor in the butler's eyes. And we know that about Yosef and about Esther. Otherwise, he would have been punished. And let's just take a little side detour over here and talk about the genre of exile narratives. There are three exile narratives in Tanakh, all of which echo each other. The first one is Yosef, a single Jewish child who goes into exile in the court of the Egyptian king and ultimately rises to greatness. The next one is Daniel, part of a group, also in exile. They end up in the court of a non-Jewish king, and they will all rise to greatness. And finally, Esther, who was taken forcibly against her will as part of an already existing exile experience, and rises to greatness as well. And it's interesting, we don't have the time, unfortunately, to do it, but it's interesting to look and to see the connections between these three stories. And I would suggest that maybe an interesting exercise for you to do on your own. So what's the response of the of the Sarhasarisim? Pasukut. Bayomer Sarhasarisim le Daniel. Yarean yeto dunia melech ashaminat machalam et maachlechem de et mishtechem. Ashalama yere et pinechem zoafim in hayeladim ashaki gilchem. Vichiaftem et roshila melech. And the chief officer says to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who's provided your food and your drinks, because if he will see your faces don't look as pleasant as the other children in your age or in your situation, I will lose my head to the king. He doesn't outright deny Daniel's request, but he explains why he can't do anything. First of all, it's the king's orders, and second of all, even if he was willing to violate the king's orders, it would be evident that he has violated them, because their appearance will be 
affected. And this word zoafim, interestingly, is also used by Yosef when he talks to the butler and the baker in prison. And he's, I'm concerned. I don't want to be in trouble because of something that I've done for you. So what does Daniel answer? Pasuk Yud Aleph. Vayomer Daniel el hamiltzar asher minasara sarisim al Daniel chananya mishael v'azaria. So Daniel turns to the meltzar, the steward, who the Rabbi Sarisim had appointed because he didn't outwardly say, outright say, I'm not going to do it. So he turns to the steward and says, and says, I want, he proposes a test. He proposes an experiment. He says, Pasuk Yudbet, Nasna et avadecha, please test your servants, Yamim Asara, for 10 days. And just give us um, seeds, and we'll eat them, and just give us water, and we will drink. He says, let's try this for 10 days, maybe vegetables, maybe legumes, and let's see how we look and we act. By the way, the word Meltzar only appears here in all of Tanakh, and Eliezer ben Yehuda uh, uh, adopted it as the modern Hebrew word for a waiter. So he continues in Pasuk Yud Gimel, and he says, And you will see, you will, you will look at our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food. They will both be seen by you. And whatever you see, you should act by. According to what you see after this 10 days experiment, decide what you're going to do. So the waiter, we see in Pasuk Yudalid, the steward listened to this idea, and he tests them for 10 days. What happens at the end of the 10 days? Pasuk Tetva, at the end of 10 days, they looked good and healthy. They looked better than the children who were eating the king's food. And this was really something extraordinary because vegetables normally aren't as fattening and as uh, as um, girth-giving as these other foods were. So what would happen? These children, the four of them, oh, I'm so sorry, I skipped the pasuk, pasuk tetzayin, the, the steward would take their food, and their drinking wine, and he would give them um, their, the food that they had, the vegetarian food that they had selected. He probably profited personally and took it for himself, and that was his motivation to keep on going with this. And these four children, and God gave him learning and skill in every script and wisdom. And on top of that, that Daniel also understood every kind of vision and dream. The Malbim points out over here that Mada is practical science, for example, medicine and biology, and Haskel is a sharp intellect. So both practical knowledge, knowledge as well as the intellectual capacity to learn even more. And here's one of our fours. Besides the four youths, I want to point out that Daniel is blessed with four different attributes, learning, skill, wisdom, and understanding of visions. What happens at the end of their apprenticeship, at the end of the three years, Pasuk Yudchet, after the end of the years which the king had said to bring them, 
the Sar HaSarisim brings him in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Pasuk Yutet, Vayidaber Itam HaMelech. The king spoke to them. V'lo nimtza mikulam kidaniyal chananya mishael va'azariyah. And nobody could be found like these four Jewish young men. Vayamdu lifnei HaMelech. And they stood in front of the king, meaning that they were appointed to serve the king. So there was some kind of an interview process, and they were the ones that were chosen to uh, to serve the king. The Ibn Ezra feels that it means only these four were chosen. The other commentaries seem to say that they were chosen amongst others. Pasuk Tchaf, V'chol dvar chokhmat bina mehem ha-melech, and any matter of art, of reasoning, which the king asked for them, he found them ten times better than any of the magicians, ha'ashafim, and the astrologers, asher b'chol malchuto, that are in his entire kingdom. So whatever the king asked them, they were ten times as wise as any of his advisors, which is even better than outshining your contemporaries, they're outshining the experienced advisors. Chartumim are magicians, ashafim are people who use evil powers. And what is the fate of Daniel? The parak ends with Pasuk Daniel And Daniel was in the government through the rest of the Babylonian kings, Darius the Mede, also known as Darius the First, and Cyrus the Great's first year, which was really the year that Bnei Israel went back to Eretz Israel, the first year of Shivat Zion. And this is almost like we, when we read about the death of Terach, before we continue with the story of Abraham, even though Terach is still alive in Abraham's life, we're just closing up these facts so we should know this is what's going on. Um, we can take a few minutes just to compare Daniel to Yosef, where they're both forced to leave their ancestral homes by force. They both rise to greatness, we'll see in the next pedic with Daniel, via a dream. They both steadfastly adhere to their faith. They both find chen, favor in the eyes of their owners and their masters. And we'll see in the next parak a lot of the language is going to be similar, as well as in this parak to the story of Yosef. They both acknowledge that only God can um, control what happens. But I just would like to point out that unlike solitary Yosef, Daniel has social support. He has three friends who are going to stick with him through thick and through thin, and he will be able to withstand temptation. We'll also see that Daniel is willing to integrate into society. Unlike Yosef, who separates his family, Daniel becomes part of the local culture. The Tanchuma in, um, in, uh, in Sef- the Tanchuma, I'm sorry, the Tanchuma in Noach says there were three people who saw three worlds. There was Noach, Daniel, and Eov. Noach saw the world settled, destroyed, and then resettled. Daniel saw the first Beit HaMikdash standing, then he saw it destroyed, and then he saw it rebuilt. And finally, Eov saw his own home standing, destroyed, and then rebuilt. So we have a note of hope, what's going to happen at the end with the first year of Kodesh. I'd just like to point out one structural note on this parak that this parak really has a chiastic structure. It begins with instructions of the king, followed by a glowing description of the boys, and then the food arrangements. The sediment... We go back to the food arrangements, the success of the boys, and finally, the king's instructions. Tomorrow, or the next time we meet, Be'ezrat Hashem, we will continue with the famous story of Nebuchadnezzar's dream.